BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a bi-week edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And right from the jump, get your earmuffs ready because, holy shit, Alabama takes one week off and the entire conference seems to go into the crapper. Uh, The COVID has taken over, games are being canceled, and a lot of discussion that the LSU-Alabama game itself may be canceled. And uh, so as we record this on Tuesday, I guess we'll see, uh, Tuesday morning in fact, because news may break later today, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, There's a cynical side of me that wants to say, wow, those corndogs will go to great lengths to get out of what they have coming to them, Uh, but, uh, but we'll see. On a much more serious note, uh, a lot of thoughts and well wishes and prayers and empathy for Trey Sanders and his injury. Uh, hopefully he is able to make a full and speedy recovery and return to form. Uh, certainly not this season, but uh, hopefully he returns 2021 a full go athletically. So let's break down a little bit of what happened in the conference, uh, other games, and not just in the conference, but other games in college football. There's two in particular that I want to spend just a minute with because I think they have the most uh, significant implications on the balance of the Alabama season. See, everything does tie back to Alabama. Uh, Florida dismantled Georgia, and I think if if you were to ask the question, is Florida really that good or is Georgia really that bad, I think the answer would be yes. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, Kyle Trask at Florida and Kyle Pitts at Florida are both uh, significantly better than I ever gave them credit for. Uh, Florida is very much a will route offense. They seem to run. Um, if Georgia's a tire fire, then then Florida is a, a tire manufacturing plant or something. I don't know. But uh, they seem to run uh, quite a lot of will routes, and uh, Georgia seemed to have quite a bit of trouble with them. Dan Mullen is proving himself much more the weirdo than I ever gave him credit for when uh, he was tucked away over at Mississippi State. Uh, he was sort of the upstart guy at an upstart program, and uh, – it was an interesting Florida uh, story, but at Florida on a much larger scale, he's definitely proven himself to be uh, the weirdo. And I uh, haven't seen any reports. Uh, I've been dying for some commentary on that Terry cloth shirt that he uh, was wearing during the game. 
Uh, and then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, he dressed up as Darth Vader. So I don't know what's going on over there. It's hard to shake when you think about Florida and, and, and sort of the stature of the program. It's hard to shake the weirdoness of Dan Mullen. Uh, it's also hard to shake the, uh, the, the loss to Texas A&M. Who it, who itself is a team that uh, Alabama handled pretty straightforward in a pretty straightforward manner uh, earlier in the season. Uh, if we start thinking about Georgia, and it's hard to think about Georgia without thinking a whole lot about Kirby's, uh, it just strikes me that he's coaching in the wrong era. He's running a 2009 template. Um, in a 2020 football environment. Wayne Gretzky used to say, you skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is. And it seems that Kirby Smart is coaching where college football used to be, and he, he didn't adapt or change uh, to, to where it is now. There's a thought that Owen, you know, jokingly, that he didn't get the Saban upgrade. Uh, Saban upgraded his offense. Defense, are still some questions, but, he, uh, but Saban has evolved his program to – represent this new era, if you will, of of college football. And it seems that Kirby is not. Kirby strikes me almost as the child actor of college football coaches. Uh, he, he has a football arrested development where he hasn't evolved his program. Uh, he still wants to uh, he wants to branch out and do his own thing and become, you know, his own sort of head coach at his program. But he doesn't want to let go of what he used to do and who he used to be and and what got him to that point. And so he's not evolving, uh, it seem, seems like, in his role. So I think that I think that's an interesting sort of narrative. When you compare the stats, and it was they were all over sort of the interwebs this weekend, when you look at the first, was it three seasons, five seasons, however many it's been, um, and you look at their win-loss record and you compare Kirby Smart and Mark Rick, it is amazing how similar – the win losses. Uh, it's and in fact, Rick had two more wins. Uh, you could you could in, in one conference championship uh, for each. Uh, you could reason that Kirby got them to a national title game, but didn't win it. Uh, but the win loss record is amazingly uh, uh, close. <clears throat> just a couple and over a five year period, it's just you know just two games difference. And and you could argue that in the era that Mark Rick coached. You know, Florida is just now becoming something, but they haven't been anything, you know, to speak of. Uh, Tennessee has been a doormat. And so you could you could even reason that that Rick's record came in an era that was tougher. It was tougher in the SEC East. So uh, so I think that's interesting. I think that Kirby Smart is in a place that he may not be able to recruit himself out of. And what do I mean by that? Uh, I think just a few short years ago, Kirby Smart had the best football room uh, the best quarterback room, uh, probably you could reason in the history of college football, uh, Fields, Eason, Fromm, and uh, and and I, you go from that to Stetson Bennett uh, running the program. And we're not mad at Stetson; uh, he is an incredible story. Uh, there's elements to his to his story that we wish we could all have some experience with, but uh, he's not competing at the same level of of those other guys. So. It, it's it's quite interesting. I think about, and I've talked about this on one of the Zoom calls, but I think about if Justin Fields, you know, look at what he's doing at Ohio State now. If he were still at Georgia, you know, think about the the layers of progression, the layers of sort of Georgia being better. And so if we woke up Saturday morning and Justin Fields put on a Georgia uniform and played quarterback uh, for Georgia, that Georgia team is going to be better. 
if Justin Fields started the season, you know, back in August, he started the season at Georgia and had, you know, all of the fall camp, all of the practice leading up to games, the the game experience up to now, then Georgia is going to be progressively even better uh, from that standpoint. And if Justin Fields had never left Georgia, Georgia is going to be so much better because even the recruiting would have been better. They would have more offensive weapons going to Georgia to play with Justin Fields. And you, and you think about, you think about that and you think about how sort of that pivot in, in college football history, you think about coach Saban having never lost to an assistant. Well, if Fields had stayed and gave that extra boost to not just talent playing on the field, his own talent playing on the field, but to the recruiting over that time frame, then that would no longer be a, a narrative. Georgia, Georgia and Kirby would have already beaten uh, Saban. But it went the other way. And you can look at that sort of being a, a mismanaged situation. And, and you know, jokingly, uh, I wonder if he if he, you know, sits up in bed last sits up in bed and sort of screams into his pillow if we had only kept Justin Fields. Uh, but think about this. It's a it's a it, it's a situation I don't think he can recruit himself out of because he's not maximizing Kirby Smart is not maximizing the play with his existing team. So so reconcile this for me. The opening snap, the opening offensive play, they have Georgia has a, I think a pretty creative alignment and I'd like to see Alabama do it with three tight ends and it and it and it screws up sort of the zone uh concept and and Zamir White on the first play of the game runs 75 yards for a touchdown. That's the opening play of the game. That's his opening carry uh, of, of the game. Zamir gets his sixth carry, not until the third quarter. And so you wonder, hey, the first run he goes for 75. We get on this early lead, 14 to nothing. Why don't we stick to this? And sure, the George, the the Florida defense is going to adjust, and they're going to hone in on them. But let's continue to run. Let's be persistent. Let's take the long uh, approach to this. Let's line back up in that formation because you know there's got to be four or five wrinkles that come off of that uh, with that three tight end formation. And so beat the hell out of Florida with that formation, with that with that running back. Uh, maximize maximize that run that run that well dry what are you holding back for oh we might need those plays in another game well you you're not going to need them in another game if he can't beat florida and so i don't understand and so when you think about you know is he going to be is is kirby going to be able to recruit himself out of this i don't know because he can't coach himself out of it with the talent that he has and he's in he sort of wrecked his his quarterback room and so if you're a parent of a child that is is at that level, being recruited at that level, do you really trust that your child is going to get the maximum effort, the maximum out of their capability, especially on the offensive side of the ball? Are they going to get? Are they going to have their potential maximized at Georgia? I don't think. I think the answer to that question is no. Now, defense. Maybe that's a conversation, but you want to play defense for a team that can play offense and you want to go play defense somewhere, especially if you're at that level where you think there's an opportunity to win a, win a title. Georgia, I, I, I don't say the, I don't want to say their window is closing, but 
a lot of questions there. A lot of questions there. I will say the Georgia Florida game gave clarity. Uh, uh, Florida, I think, is the team to beat in the East. I think they have the the advantage. They do have one loss uh, over Georgia's two losses, but they also have the, the tiebreaker. So they'd have to lose two games uh, for Georgia to get back into it. I don't see that happening, especially down the stretch here. And so I think it provides a lot of clarity for you think about the Alabama analysts and uh, maybe they were splitting time looking at multiple teams on the East. I think they can hone in on Georgia. And there's a couple of folks uh, Saban has sort of an army of analysts. There's a couple of those folks that can either spend full time looking at Florida or they can spend time every week looking at Florida. And that's uh, I think that's, that's additional clarity. You could reason that well, they can do that for Alabama. They can look at Alabama all, uh, uh, all of that time as well. And, and that is true. That's a true statement. I do think that the analyst program at other uh, universities at other schools are probably not as robust as what Saban has. Uh, I don't think they have as many. And I think uh, across the board, I think Alabama is a better team than Florida. So I think uh, if there's a head start advantage, I give it to uh, I give it to Alabama. All right. So another game that uh, I think has implications that played this weekend that has implications for Alabama is that's the uh, Clemson and Notre Dame game. So a couple quick uh, thoughts here. I think the Clemson quarterback looked really, really good. Uh, Clemson did not lose to Notre Dame because Trevor Lawrence didn't play. Uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, does not spackle the cracks that uh, that Clemson has. Uh, I think it's largely on defense. Uh, they do lack the weapons on offense this year that they had in prior years. Uh, some of that is uh, Justin Ross being lost for the season. I think that has shown itself the last couple of weeks. And I think the defense at Clemson just isn't what it used to be. You say that about Alabama as well, uh, but the offense is better than it used to be at Clemson. Both sides of the ball are not what they used to be. And I think Notre Dame pointed that out. I think Notre Dame is a very good college team, but they're not elite. I think Ian Book is a good college quarterback. He's not elite. Uh, I think Notre Dame is a very balanced team. I like the seniority, uh, juniors and seniors across the offensive line. Uh, I think it's it's one of those sort of generationally teams that have built up, uh, you know, the sophomores that started across the offensive line. And you tell yourself, man, we're going to be really good when they're all juniors and seniors. And that's where they are right now. And that's that's sort of the old model of how you build a, a college football team. And that's what Notre Dame, that's what Notre Dame has done now. They don't have the top end elite talent. But they have – it's almost like a mid-major in basketball going against Duke, right? And so a mid-major is seven deep with seniors, right? This is their moment. This is their opportunity. Duke or Kentucky just has the latest batch of, of freshmen. And, and sometimes that can create matchups. Now, typically the talent will prevail, but you can also see where the, the system and the players playing together uh, – that can sometimes win win it as well. And so if you if you look at what Notre Dame is doing, they're doing that almost that mid-major model that we sometimes see in basketball. Uh, this Notre Dame team, are they as good as what was it, the 2011 team that we faced, Alabama faced down in Miami? I don't know. Um, they would have to be a lot better for it to mean anything. And I don't know that they're a lot better. Uh, than that team in 2011. I thought that was a pretty good team. And uh, I don't know. I've not watched a lot of Notre Dame uh, necessarily, but uh, they looked good. I don't know that they looked as good as the 2011 team. I don't know that they looked as good as they would need 
to look, uh, to face an Ohio State, to face an Alabama, to face a Clemson in a rematch. And that's what we're going to see in the ACC championship, most likely. And I think Clemson wins that game. I think Clemson wins the, the rematch. And there's the potential that they both make uh, that they both make the playoffs. I think if I were to project my four in the playoffs right now, uh, I would project Alabama number one. I think Alabama uh, beats Florida in the SEC championship game. Uh, Alabama, um, well, let's see how the rest of the season plays out with the COVID. Uh, but Alabama is on track on paper to play more games than Ohio State. So Ohio State is playing in the Big Ten. I think they win the Big Ten, whatever that means. Um, and so even if Alabama and Ohio State both go undefeated, I think the committee will give the the cap tip to the team that plays more games. And so that would be Alabama. More ranked teams, too, I think, uh, is, as the season plays out. Clemson likely earns the third spot for the reasons that we've talked about. And then it becomes sort of an interesting sort of mix. Who gets that fourth spot? Do you give it to Notre Dame because of the brand and sort of the, you know, they did beat Clemson, so maybe, you know, there's a shot there. Do you give it to Texas A&M because they're sort of trying to backdoor this thing, uh, winning their games. They don't have a chance to compete for the the conference championship just because they're behind Alabama. But do they take that sort of backdoor back route? And Alabama's done that uh, a time or two. The biggest strike against uh, Texas A&M is they did not lose a close one to Alabama. They got blown out. Notre Dame could say, hey, we not only lost potentially a close one in the ACC championship, but we beat them. We beat them head up. And so I think that would give Notre Dame a little bit of an edge uh, if they play uh, Clemson close in the second one. Obviously, if they beat Clemson in the ACC championship, that's a different thing. But that's not what I'm projecting. I think it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. And then and then who is uh, the fourth? Uh, I think Notre Dame could have a case. I think uh, Texas A&M could have a case. Uh, Oregon. I don't know if they're going to have enough games in in the Pac-10 or Pac-12, but uh, that's a team to sort of watch out for. Or does the committee just do something just, hey, it's a COVID year, let's be crazy, and they pick somebody like a Cincinnati or, hell, even even a BYU. Uh, I think this season it's always true because one plays four and two plays three. It's always true you want to be one because you're playing four. It's an easier matchup. I think that's times 10 uh, this year. Because that fourth team could be, you know, like we've called out, it could be Cincy, it could be BYU, it could be Texas A&M, it could be Notre Dame. And I think that's an easier matchup than uh, the Ohio, than Ohio State and Clemson. <clears throat> I think those are two of, the, two of the tougher teams. That would be more of a gauntlet. And that's the design, that's the model uh, of the setup. But uh, that's my prediction. And uh, I don't know that we'll do that every week, update the rankings, but uh, if something sort of breaks – then uh, we'll revisit that and, and speak to that again. All right, here's what we're going to do. We've got a, you know, I should have introduced it at the beginning. Uh, we've got sort of a grab bag of of topics. And, uh, and so we just hit a couple sort of grabby baggy type of topics. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to revisit uh, some predictions for this season, uh, update some projections for the rest of the season, and, uh, and then just have some fun with uh, some mid-season awards, mailbags, and contest winners and all that kind of good stuff. So we're going to revisit some uh, uh, some predictions. Uh, I look at some of these and I think, gosh, why do people listen to me talk football? Because I'm wrong on uh, on a number of these and and right on a few of them as well. But let's uh, let's sort of jump in and revisit some of the predictions 
that uh, that we had for the 2020 season. Right off the jump, you know, we said this COVID situation is going to create the need for a deeper bench and that Saban will be intentional uh, in in rotating more players, play a deeper bench. We don't know when the COVID may or may not strike. Uh, we don't have to worry about red shirts and eligibility and all of that stuff. And so let's let's have as many people, uh, as many players capable and ready to play the game uh, as we possibly can. Saban will sometimes play a, a shorter bench and that intentionally in 2020, uh, he'd play a deeper bench. We missed that one by a mile. Saban has played a very uh, close to the vest, a very tight bench. Uh, a lot of players are getting more time in special teams than they might otherwise uh, have had. So there's a little bit of truth, but across the, across the core offense, the core defense, uh, it's been a, it's been a much uh, a tighter bench. Uh, we did predict that Mac Jones would win the starting job over Bryce Young. I think that was a pretty straightforward. I, I hardly even call that a prediction. Uh, we did expect Bryce Young to play more than he has uh, to this point in the season. We still have an opportunity to, uh, to see how he uh, plays out over the balance of the season, but Mac Jones has just been incredible. Uh, we did predict that Najee would be better in 2020 than he was in 2019. Uh, I think that's true. I think we were right on that one. Uh, where we were wrong a little bit is we thought that he would that his play would be better, but his stats might not be better because we're going to rotate more guys. And in fact, the next uh, prediction is we said that Alabama would have three running backs uh, over 600 yards, and we're way wrong on that one. Uh, Najee's better, and I think his stats uh, may be better. Uh, we're going to play some running backs, especially with Trey being out, but uh, B-Rob has been dinged up, and uh, so we're going to have to work some youth in, but we're we're nowhere near three backs with 600 yards. Uh, Mechie is the third receiver. I think we're pretty close on that one. Uh, competition at center uh, with hopefully the evolution that Landon moves to guard. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, we did predict the offensive line would win the Joe Moore Award, and if they were giving that away uh, today, then uh, that would be a winner. So there's still some season uh, to play out, but uh, I think we're on track for that one. We thought the defensive line <clears throat> would be would have depth and would be dominant, uh, that the defensive line itself would be a weapon. So we're not seeing that. What's interesting is we are seeing depth. We're seeing a Byron Young emerge. We're seeing a Tim Smith emerge. We're seeing youngsters uh, break into the rotation, and we've got the feel and the Aboibe and the uh, – uh, LeBron Ray before injury and the DJ Dale. So I think the depth is there, but it's not the dominant weapon that, uh, that we thought it could be. Uh, Christian Harris leading the team, uh, the leading tackler. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, that's, that still has an opportunity to be true, but right now he's second, uh, he's second in line behind Moses, which I was a little bit surprised at when I looked at the numbers. Uh, Christian Harris has 38 tackles and uh, Dylan Moses has 50 tackles. But I tell you what, I think I'm going to call my lawyers and see if we can get a recount on this. Because when you look at solo tackles, Christian Harris has 30 and Dylan Moses has 29. If you look at total tackles, counting assists, Christian Harris has 38 and Dylan has 50. So that's interesting. 30 out of Harris's 38 are solo for Moses, 29 of 50 are solo. And so that's, is that, is that an electoral college uh, versus popular vote type situation? I don't know. We're going to get our attorneys on that and uh, see how that shakes out. Although the count is still uh, underway. Uh, 
the secondary is the key to the defense. We did predict that. I think we're spot on there, and I think uh, the Magnolia State helps point that out. If you look at the secondary against Ole Miss versus the secondary against Mississippi State, uh, I think you can see the evolution, the progression uh, of the uh, Alabama's defensive secondary, and I think that continues. Uh, Josh Job, uh, we predicted, predicted that he would be solid but not spectacular. Well, I don't know. We're either right <laughs> or wrong on that one. I don't know. Uh, he's definitely solid, but I think he's uh, I think he's he's been a little bit spe- spectacular too. Uh, we did predict uh, Will Reichert would be the answer to prayer at the kicker position, so we'll take credit for that one. Uh, we did say Malachi Moore and Brian Branch would not wait their turn; that they were going to jump in and uh, seize playing opportunity. Uh, Malachi Moore has been a starter at the star position for the entirety of the season, and Brian Branch started. Uh, at the uh, at the dime position uh, against Mississippi State, so and and has been in the rotation, uh, and so I think we're right on that one. Uh, Pete Golden would turn fans, and uh, I think we're wrong on that one. Uh, he's turned fans away uh, as opposed to turning fans back into his favor. And then the last one that uh, sort of prediction that uh, that we'll talk about is uh, we predicted that Alabama would make it look easy running through the SEC, and I think we nailed that one. And uh, let's see how the balance of the season goes. But Alabama has made uh, this season look easy. That's a rat poison comment. Uh, and I get it because the players are grinding. They're working hard. It, these games are physical. Uh, we're seeing players get dinged up. And so to say that it's easy um, is easy for me to do that uh, from my, the you know, the luxury of my, uh, <laughs> of my home. Uh, but the players who are actually doing the work and grinding. Uh, they might say it's anything but easy. But when you look at the outcome on the field, when you look at the score, uh, and again, rat poison, because it's all about progress. It's all about climbing the mountain. Uh, it's not where you are in any given moment, but it's the objective that you're working towards. And so that's the there is a difference between team and fan. From a fan perspective, Alabama's making it look easy. Uh, home stretch projections. So I'm going to double down. Uh, I think I've got five five items here. I'm going to double down on uh, some of these. Maybe are new. Some of these are doubling down on prior predictions. Uh, the secondary becomes a weapon. I'm doubling down on this one. I do think the secondary is the key to the defense. I feel very strongly about that, and I like the progression that we're seeing from the secondary. I predict that it continues. The secondary itself becomes a defensive weapon. Uh, Javon Baker, I would have expected him, wide receiver, freshman, I would have expected him to contribute more uh, to this point. He hasn't, but he's going to. And that's my prediction over the this last sort of home stretch. I think we're going to uh, we're all going to become familiar with uh, Javon Baker. I think the tight end becomes more of a weapon. I think we throw to the tight end uh, a little bit more. Four stalls caught a handful of passes, maybe a couple of touchdowns. I think we're going to see the tight end and multiple tight ends, not just four stall. I think we're going to see. Uh, I'm going to say the tight end's a weapon, uh, not a bazooka, but a handgun kind of kind of style weapon. I think we're going to use the tight end uh, more and more. And heck, we've seen enough teams use the tight end against us that uh, it will have some fresh film on uh, plays that work. Um, Naja continues to uh, to ascend, and uh, and and this is this is you know I think there's two reasons. Uh, he's playing so darn well that of course we're going to continue to feed him. And we're not getting the production out of the other backs that we want. Uh, part of that is going to be Trey Sanders. I think he just sort of burst on the scene. And uh, and then that's been sort of taken away from him with his injury. And then Brian Robinson has been injured, uh, sort of dinged up is what they're calling it. And so he may come back and and, and really blow up 
uh, this home stretch. I'm probably not predicting that uh, as much as I would like to see it happen. Uh, I think Najee continues uh, to ascend. And sort of the connective tissue with that is I think, um, you know, the Heisman, I don't know if they're going to do it in New York and have players come up and all that. So whatever sort of the equivalency is, Alabama will have two final uh, Heisman contenders, Mac Jones and uh, Najee. So this is, a, this is a, I've, I've talk, uh, another feature I want to talk to just spend a minute with. These are stay decisions. Players that maybe are losing their eligibility, maybe would go pro, maybe the COVID has given them uh, an additional opportunity. And we've talked about a couple of these guys in the podcast. I've got five. And so four of them, their eligibility is out except for the 2020 provision. And then, uh, and then I've got a couple guys, three that I'm on the fence. So Miller Forstall, uh, the fact that he just got engaged makes me think that he might be looking beyond his uh, collegiate playing career. So we'll see how that plays out. But if there's and, and look, he may want to go sell insurance and that's what he wants to do and, and, and wants, you know, football behind him. So I don't, I'm not in the guy's head, but, uh, um, but he seems like a textbook from a distance, from the distance that I'm at. He seems like a textbook guy that would come back and whatever he wants to do next in life, whether it's play, whether it's coach, whether it's be a stock trader or be a real estate agent, that he can only benefit by having uh, another year in the uh, in the Saban system. Uh, Brian Robinson, <clears throat> you think of running backs going at their earliest sort of opportunity. Uh, Najee decided to come back and Brian Robinson um, you know, this would be his fourth year of eligibility too. So, uh, he otherwise would have to go and he got a little dinged up. He's not getting the carries behind, uh, an emergent Najee. Uh, so I think Brian Robinson may decide to, to come back. And so I think that would be an interesting uh, decision. I think it'd be a good decision, uh, for him. I don't know that he would be drafted. Uh, I don't know that he would be drafted, uh, in, in the NFL right now, if he were to come back and have a solid, healthy season, then uh, I think he, he he would certainly benefit by that. And so Saban always talks about creating value for yourself. I think if B-Rob came back, he could create some value for himself. Uh, very similar, LeBron Ray, uh, st- sort of star-crossed in his injury uh, history, missed all of or nearly all of last season. He's missing a, a significant swath of, of this season. And so he would have to definitely just come out and just ball out like crazy mad uh, to really get a, a serious look from the NFL. Otherwise, teams are looking at his freshman tape, uh, which is, you know, three years ago. And would they draft based off of that? I don't know that they would, certainly not in the upper half of the draft. And so you talk, talk about coming back and creating value for you, for yourself. LeBron Ray fits in that category. Uh, Fidarian Mathis is a guy that uh, otherwise would have to go. And could he come back and uh, have a more steady uh, contributor role? Uh, or does he feel like he's sort of maxed out at Alabama and wants to go? Uh, I think there's a real shot that uh, that, that he could come back. And uh, Daniel Wright, uh, not dissimilar from Fidarian, do I maximize my opportunity to make the league by spending another year at Alabama? Um, and I think uh, I think Daniel Wright may have that. Uh, he he may have those types of thought processes as well. So the sort of the core, the theme here is assuming they all want to play in the NFL. Fair assumption. Uh, then how do they maximize their value? How do cre- how do they create sort of the gre- the greatest value for themselves? And I think coming back to Alabama, uh, I think serves that purpose. Uh, players that I'm on the fence with. So these become sort of interesting sort of thought exercises. Uh, Mac Jones. 
And so he is definitely playing himself into the draft, whereas last year he wouldn't he wouldn't have been given a second look. Uh, and so he's playing himself into the draft. There's a lot of people saying, oh, he's playing, you know, he's going to be a first-round pick. Well, maybe tap the brakes on that. But a second-round quarterback is is a pretty good deal. And, and, and so if he plays at that level and is going to be a second-round pick, should he go? Probably he should. Um, the, you know, the turnover of weapons on uh, this offensive team, maybe maybe he should go. There's also the mindset, and I, and I think about, and multiple coaches have said this, that a successful NFL uh, sort of transition from college to NFL requires – you know, you want the you want a quarterback to have started, you know, 20 plus games. And when players have not started that many games at college, then they tend to struggle more. Now, the metric that I have is several years old there. And I think of Mark Sanchez when he left USC, he had 16 starts and Phil and, and uh, Pete Carroll, you know, almost publicly was like, he shouldn't go. Uh, he's not ready which you don't want your your college coach to say that about you. Uh, but you could reason that that played itself out, that he wasn't ready. Uh, you can see other players. Mitch Trubisky started one year at, at uh, where was it, North Carolina. Uh, he should have come back. Daniel Jones, I think, started one year at, uh, at Duke. You could reason that if he had eligibility, he should have he should have stayed. And so I don't want Mac Jones to go pro one year, and then he'd be the next – Mitch Trubisky, or he'd be the next, you know, Mark Sanchez. I'd want him to go and have a true opportunity to play and compete. Um, on the other hand, if he comes back, what does that look like with with Bryce uh, with Bryce Young? That's a whole other conversation, and we'll have that conversation later if we need to. Uh, but when I look at Mac Jones, there's a part of me that is super excited about the opportunity and value he's creating for himself, and uh, in, in to be an early round pick. But then there's a a, a skeptical part of me that says, will he have enough starts uh, to really, you know, blossom in, in the NFL? And I don't know the answer to that question, but that's certainly something to watch. Uh, Josh Job, uh, he is becoming a favorite player uh, this season with his tenacity and his resolve on, on the field. Uh, he's a player that uh, I and others may be questioned coming out of last season. Is he ready to start? And uh, uh, and he's had the right sort of blend of opportunity and talent, and really emerged. Is he a player that could go pro? I think he would give a. I think he would be given a very very serious look. Uh, but could he come back? You know, could it be? Could he go from a third round to a first round? I think potentially so. So I'm on the fence of of what I think uh, Josh Job would do. And uh, how about this, Dylan Moses? What if he were to come back? Um, I don't think he will. I'm more leaning towards that he would go, especially coming off of his injury. If he has an opportunity to go in the the first couple of rounds, I think that that he would go. But he's not playing like at an all star level this year. That you think, oh, this dude's first round pick a lock uh, being a first round pick. If he were to come back and play a full year uh, post injury and really light it on fire, uh, then he could be uh, a first round pick. And so it's almost like Mac Wilson um, when he went, um, when he went, he didn't, he went in the fifth round, he fell to the fifth round. He should have gone much earlier than that. And had he come back uh, now he's played above that level in the NFL, but uh, had he come back you know, he would have easily been a first or second rounder. And so Dylan is almost in that same 
same opportunity. Coming back from injury, not looking like a world beater this year, does he fall to the fourth or fifth round versus if he were to come back and sort of live up to his standard in one more season, could he be a first rounder? Yeah, he absolutely could. And so that's um, that's an interesting sort of thought exercise uh, with those guys. But Miller, Brian, LeBrian, Miller, Brian, LeBrian, uh, Fidarian and Daniel Wright, I think uh, I think they all do come back. Uh, Mac, I'm on the fence. He probably does go. Josh and Dylan, I'm probably more on the fence. I think Dylan probably goes. So we'll see how that plays out. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware Glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right. We're going to transition into mid-season awards. So we're going to have a little bit of fun. Some of these are serious. Some of these are fun. And uh, we're going to start within the team, uh, uh, Alabama team. Uh, offensive MVP, Mac Jones. What do you want to say about that? Uh, offensive newcomer newcomer, or, uh, or most improved uh, we're going to go uh, John Mechie. I think a lot of us uh, probably saw this coming, uh, but uh, he has really blossomed uh, on the scene this year. Uh, defensive MVP. I'm going Josh Job. And when I when I sat down to 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 think about who this would be, I I, I said no, it's not Josh Job. And then I started thinking, well, who is it then? And is it Sertain? Is it Malachi? Is it? Uh, one of the linemen is one of the linebackers, a Christian Harris, and and uh, and I couldn't really land on anybody. And 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 I circle back to Josh Show and I said, you know, he's helping he's helping um, cut off one half of the field. And in fact, with Patrick Sertain on one side, uh, offenses are going to attack the other side, and Josh Show is is locking that down. Uh, we find opponents very rarely attack our corners, and Josh Josh is one of those, uh, and, and is really maybe the, the surprise of the two. I think he's the more physical of the two corners, and so when I think about our secondary needs to improve, we potentially have two lockdown corners, one unexpectedly, and th- and that's helping the the safeties play better. I think the key or the linchpin to that development in the secondary is Josh Job, and so when we sit here today, early November. I'm giving my uh, tip of the cap uh, defensive MVP to uh, Josh Job. Uh, defensive newcomer, Malachi Moore. Um, I don't think there's any conversation on that. Uh, Will Anderson, you could you could talk about Will and you could talk about Will Anderson, and he's a phenomenal player, and I think he's going to have uh, a lot of contribution uh, moving forward. But in terms of the contribution that's being made right now today, I don't think you can top Malachi Moore. Uh, we're going to broaden out a little bit and talk about within the conference, the biggest surprise in the, uh, uh, SEC West is probably some combination of Texas A&M. I didn't think they'd be this good. And, uh, Arkansas, uh, I thought they would be Drek and, um, and they're actually a, a, a competitive team. Uh, the biggest surprise in the, uh, SEC East is by far Carl, uh, Kyle, uh, Trask, Really surprised uh, at, at his performance. 
Uh, biggest letdown in the uh, or disappointment. I don't like to use that word necessarily, but uh, biggest sort of letdown in the West, I think, is LSU. Uh, holy moly! And uh, the biggest sort of letdown in the East, uh, I would say, is Georgia. And here's what's I would say beautiful about both of those uh, categorize uh, categorizes as the is the greatest letdown is they both demonstrate in their own way. They both demonstrate the genius of Saban. And so LSU built a program last year, or they backdoored into a program, however you want to say it, that won the national title. And then they couldn't keep it together. They literally could not keep the team uh, together. And they certainly can't keep the focus and the talent uh, uh, in place to repeat that or even to be competitive in the second year. And 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 so you think about the dynasty over the last you know, 10 or 12 years that Coach Saban has built. And you juxtapose that to the to literally the one hit wonder that LSU uh, was last year. It is it is amazing, the contrast. And then you look at Georgia for all the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Uh, if this team had uh, a quarterback, they might be. Uh, we've talked about Justin Fields. If they had a if they had a competent quarterback, uh, they would be a highly competitive team. If they had a Justin Fields, uh, they might be the best team in college football. And and so it's uh, it's Kirby Smart uh, skating behind the puck uh, as opposed to where the puck's going to be. And uh, I think that's further uh, further demonstrates this, the evolution and the genius that is Saban. All right, handful of other awards. Most of these are mostly for fun. Um, <clears throat> Every season starts new award goes to Tennessee. Uh, last year, they lost to Georgia State and BYU, and and even with those losses, they won ten games or they won eight games last year. And so you think, ah, oh, if we can just improve enough, and we should be able to improve just enough to beat teams like that, we we could have a ten win season. Now the COVID, and so it's a fewer games, but you you translate that into we could still be really good in the SEC East. And uh, the trick is you have to go back and play all those games again. You don't just get to play those two that uh, we were just so close. No, you have to go back and play the full season again. And uh, we're seeing Tennessee uh, really, really struggle with that, uh, where maybe they got a break, where maybe they were able to edge something out last year Last year uh, to get to eight wins. They are not doing that in 2020. So every season starts uh, new. That award goes to Tennessee. Man, I missed 2019 award. That goes to LSU. Uh, the plan is not working award goes to Kirby Smart. I thought the season was canceled award. That goes to Vanderbilt. He's no Ronnie Caldwell award goes to Sam Pittman in Arkansas. Saban's new analyst award uh, goes to either Will Muschamp or Jeremy Pruitt. We'll see how the season plays out, but Muschamp, I think, has the upper hand there. Uh, I have a friend in Birmingham award goes to Gus Malzahn. I want out of the ACC award goes to Notre Dame. Thank God for Notre Dame goes to the ACC. Welcome to the SEC award goes to Mike Leach. The cock block award goes to Texas A&M. And did you see the shutout award goes to Pete Golden. All right. Ruffling some, rattling some pages here. We're going to go to the mailbag and we've got, uh, couple of good questions. Uh, I mean, they're all good questions. Uh, a couple of these I had to actually do a little bit of homework on. Uh, so Steve uh, wrote us uh, a question and uh, wrote this just uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Steve sent us the question, how good is Mac Jones? And um, 
And I, th- I think that's a, you know, how good is he really? Uh, and I think that's a great question. I think Mac Jones is much better than, than we all expected. Uh, he's a little bit of a product of, of his talent, his line, his receivers, you know, Najee. He's a little bit of the product of, of Sark and game planning and scheming. But, uh, you know, even with that all in place, he's still the best quarterback in the SEC. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt Carroll has uh, a Corral has uh, some of those elements at, at Ole Miss, and he's not playing at nearly that level. Uh, Kyle Trask uh, has, I think, many of those components and is competing at, at, a, at a near uh, near a, a level nearly that high, but I, th- I don't think he's outperforming uh, Mac Jones. So I think anytime you can look at the SEC and say you've got the best quarterback in the conference, um, there's going to be a lot of factors that, that play into that, uh, including the talent of the individual. And so I'll give uh, Mac Jones a lot of credit for that. Uh, there's a uh, It's more of an NFL-geared podcast, uh, but I'll listen to John Middlecoff and uh, his podcast, uh, Three and Out. And he's a former scout. He's a former former um, uh, front office guy uh, with the um, who's he with uh, the Phil, uh, the uh, the Eagles, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I think he he more caters to a younger crowd. Uh, but I like uh, I like his breakdown. I like his uh, his discussion of the game. And he was talking the other day, and he was talking about uh, listening to sh- his show the other day, and he was talking about Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's pocket presence. And athletically, Tom Brady is not a world beater athletically, nor is Mac Jones. Uh, we know that, right? And so, but but what he marveled at, what Middlecoff marveled at, is why some of the younger quarterbacks today don't study Tom Brady's pocket presence. You see a lot of quarterbacks bail out. They step back instead of step forward. They try to spin out of a rush uh, in, in, instead of... Uh, instead of stepping up in the pocket, he specifically mentioned, you know, Daniel, Daniel Jones, uh, uh, you know, being a, being a quarterback with the Giants that runs himself into sacks. He'll spin away from one defender and, and run into uh, another defender. And so that was sort of his, his example. And he said, why do these guys, he just kind of marveled at why none of these guys study Tom Brady's pocket presence. You know, you rarely see Tom bet, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom Brady spin out of a tackle. Uh, you rarely see him step back in the pocket. You're almost always seeing him step into the pocket, step into his throws. He moves to avoid the rush rather than escape the rush. I think that's a subtle difference. He keeps his eyes downfield and he's accurate with his ball placement in in the midst of all sort of the turmoil going around him and that he he just marveled that more quarterbacks should study uh, Tom Brady's uh, presence in the pocket. And as he was just describing that, steps back in the pocket, of moves to avoid versus escape, eyes downfield, accurate ball placement. I thought, you know what? Mac Jones is all of those things. Now, I'm not saying Mac Jones is Tom Brady. Don't hear me say that. But I'm saying that those characteristics that quarterbacks that struggle in the NFL don't have, they don't have that pocket presence. They don't have that pocket awareness. Mac Jones has that. He has all of that. And, and, and that stuff is hard to teach. It's hard to train. It's almost an innate comfort uh, with that discomfort. And I think Mac Jones has that. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Tom Brady. I'm not saying he's the GOAT. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying he has these intangibles. And, uh, and those translate. When I watched uh, Kyle Trask uh, the other day against Georgia, I, I didn't see all of that. He had a strong arm. He could, he could place the ball uh, uh, 
I don't think as accurate, uh, but he has strong arm. He has a bigger build, uh, but I didn't see him have that same level of comfort in the pocket. And, uh, and, and he didn't have as dirty of a pocket, I think is what Mac has had a, a couple of times. So, uh, so I, I'd say Mac Jones is a very good quarterback uh, and certainly better than we all expected. So thanks, Steve. We appreciate that question. Uh, Bo had uh, uh, an interesting. Uh, he had an interesting question, and uh, and I'll be honest with you, I probably misread his question originally, and then uh, and so I answered what I thought the question was, and then I went back and read it again, and I answered uh, his other question, and so uh, he made the comment that uh, that LSU is the monster that Saban created, and I first interpreted that as a question: Is LSU the monster that Saban created? And so I answered that question, and um, and then and then he commented. Uh, you know, this monster now we have to, we have to slay each season. And then he said, you know, talk a little bit about the history of the LSU uh, Alabama rivalry. And, uh, and I thought, well, those are, those are two interesting points. Uh, even though he probably only intended it as one question, I answered them both. And so, uh, so did Saban create a monster at LSU that, Al- that Alabama now needs to slay each year? And the answer to that question is, is yes. It's a resounding yes. And, and the numbers bear it out. Through the late 90s, um, and in fact, actually through, through, uh, through the 90s, uh, in fact, from, let's just put a time box on it, from 1902 to 1996, so, you know, 94 years, over a 94-year period, 1902 to 1996, LSU had five 10 win seasons in, in the history of that program over that time frame, they only had five 10 win seasons. That's an amazing stat sort of all by itself. Uh, between 2000 and 2020, they've had 11. And so let's break that down uh, from 2000 to 2004. Uh, Coach Saban, uh, Nick Saban, was the head coach at LSU. They won one national title. They had two 10-win seasons. Uh, 2005 to 2016, Les Miles was the head coach. They had uh, one national title that they won, another that they played for. They had seven 10-win seasons. And from 2016 uh, to 2020, I'm listening to 2016 twice because the uh, Ogeron took over midseason. Uh, 2016 to 2020, Ogeron uh, has won one national title, and so far he's had two 10-win seasons. So they've had 11 10-win seasons in the last 20 years, whereas they had, uh, prior to that, they had five 10-win seasons in the 94-year uh, period subsequent, which is pretty amazing. They had a three consecutive season, 2005, 2006, 2007, three consecutive seasons in which they won 10 or more games. And 2011, 12, uh, 11, 12, 13, I got my years wrong, uh, but they had a four-year uh, stretch, uh, 2011, maybe it's 14. Uh, they had a, a four-year stretch where they won uh, 10, 10 or more games uh, four years uh, in a row. So that's pretty amazing uh, in terms of evidence that Saban has built that monster because all of that is from 2000 uh, when, Saban, when Saban took the LSU job. Uh, if you look at the Alabama LSU series as a whole, the series started in 1895, so I got out the, the Google machine and uh, and did a little research. Um, <clears throat> the series started 1895. Um, LSU won the first game 12 to 6. 
there have been 83 total meetings uh, over that time frame. I don't think uh, Alabama and LSU started playing uh, on an annual basis until maybe the 60s, um, maybe the 50s. Uh, but there's been 83 total meetings uh, uh, dating up to through 2019. Uh, Alabama's record in these games are 53, 26, and 5. So if you discount the um, the five uh, the five uh, ties, uh, LSU has a thirty three percent winning rate uh, in those games. So that's really really low. Alabama and LSU have played in six different locations: uh, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Mobile, and Montgomery uh, over the years. Alabama. Um, Alabama fans are riled up because Ed Ogeron said that they own Tuscaloosa. Well. Check your math. Uh, Alabama is 28, 9, and 2 in Baton Rouge. So if we're comparing deeds, uh, I like I like the Tides position there. Uh, the road team has won all overtime games, which is interesting, and we've seen those in Tuscaloosa, uh, of course. So if you think about um, – we talked about 83 total games. Uh, LSU has a 33% uh, winning percentage. Uh, if you look at – the 21 games from 2000 to 2019, and it's 21 because we played LSU twice uh, in uh, in a year recently. Alabama holds uh, the edge at 11 of 10. So if you think of overall, it's 53 of 83 games that Alabama has won over the last 20 years. It's 11 of 21. So LSU had. Uh, a 33% has a 33% winning percentage overall, but a right at a 50% winning percentage over the last 20 years. So that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, what's also interesting over the same time frame, over the same 20 year time frame, and again, you're talking about the, the monster that Saban created, and now we have to slay them every year. During this this time frame, this 20 years, Alabama has won five national titles. LSU's won three, and so when you compare those, eight of the 20 national titles have been won by one of these two teams, and so 40% of the national titles in college football have been won either by Alabama or LSU uh, since 2020, so that's pretty interesting. So, yes, Saban absolutely has created a monster, and uh, unfortunately, we do have to slay it uh, every year, and um and then that's a little bit of history there in that series. So I thought that was interesting. That was fun to kind of look up and, and talk about with you. Uh, I'm going to rapid fire uh, a couple of questions, a uh, handful of other questions. These are questions that we got before the season. So some of these, uh, the answers have kind of already sort of played out. Uh, who wins the number uh, number one running back uh, job? Uh, I think, you know, clearly Najee has won that. Uh, in your Saban era dream team, who would you put at each of the starting positions? And I promise you that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do that as an off season. Uh, and, and maybe that's a show by itself because I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, is the secondary going to be any good? How's it going to rank, uh, across the sec? I think we're seeing a lot of improvement in the secondary. I think we're going to continue, uh, to see, uh, uh, to see the secondary improve. Uh, if Mac Jones wins the starting job, does, Bar uh, does Bryce Young transfer, I don't think so. And let's see what happens next season. But I really don't think uh, I really don't think Bryce is going to transfer. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, do you think Will Anderson will see him play in time? 
despite being a freshman, maybe on third downs, he actually starts. And so, again, this is a preseason question. Um, uh, the question for the season, secondary, uh, make me feel hopeful <laughs> about the secondary. Also, does Mac hold on to the job for the entire season? Um, do we want him to? <laughs> I, like, I like that. Um, uh, where we are now, he clearly is going to hold on to that job. Uh, and, yes, we do want him to. Uh, he's playing sort of lights out uh, above what we all thought uh, he could do. So we absolutely want that cont- to continue. Uh, you know, again, the secondary, I think, continues to improve. I think they're the key to the Alabama defense. I think we're starting to see that. And so uh, we should all uh, we all should be excited about how the secondary is playing right now uh, and excited about how it will continue to play. Uh, will Will Anderson, Drew Sanders, Des Moines Kennedy have a chance at starting? Uh, again, preseason, Will is, Drew has played. Uh, I'm not sure if Des Moines has played, uh, but I really like him. Let's look for him next season. Uh, I think he's going to make uh, make a name for himself. Uh, impact uh, freshman across the defensive front, uh, Tim Smith, I think is, is a guy we're starting to see. Uh, at the end of the season, who's the starting quarterback? And I think that was an insightful question uh, as we sit here today. And it was a preseason question. Uh, I might have gone Bryce. Uh, at the beginning of the season, but it's clearly it's going to be Mac. Um, if you could lock in a B plus, uh, i.e. third uh, third best position group in the SEC uh, for a specific position group for the entire season, which would it be? Um, I think that's an interesting question. I probably want to understand a little bit more. What does that mean? Does that mean uh, that that's your best position group uh, on the team, or does that mean it's your worst position group? Uh, on on the team, and so I think that makes a big difference. If it's your best position group, then it's you got to say quarterback. Uh, if it's your worst position group, then uh, I might be willing to say tight end, or um, and I kind of would even want to say linebacker. But uh, uh, depends on uh, depends on how that goes. Uh, depends on how sort what sort of the curve uh, there is. Uh, <laughs> we got a question: Is Tommy ever coming back? And uh, I love that. Uh, yes, he absolutely is is coming back. Uh, what's your prediction on how the quarterback position will shake out? A lot of interest in the quarterback uh, in the preseason, and uh, I think we feel really good about uh, uh, about how that's how that's played out. Uh, a listener from Missouri, uh, Chiefs are my favorite team. Derek Thomas, my favorite player. I've heard comparisons uh, with uh, with Will Anderson. Is that fair? Uh, no, that's not fair. It's not fair to equate a freshman to uh, an All America, multi time All America. Uh, multi-time All-Pro Hall of Fame uh, level linebacker. Uh, that's that's not fair. Uh, however, what we've seen is the explosive bur- uh, burst that Will Anderson has, and is he going to develop into something uh, that might become reminiscent of a Derek uh, Thomas? I think that that potential is there. But to line up and equate him sort of now, I don't think that's what you're saying. But uh, I, I'm going to err from a, a position of caution and then be hopeful for the future. I think Will Anderson's going to be a phenomenal player, and I don't think we need to necessarily um, uh, name other players uh, as, as a comparison, although that's so easy and fun to do. And, and of course, Derek Thomas is a legend um, for so many reasons, but uh, uh, and a favorite player of so many. But um, uh, Will Anderson is going to be a fun player to watch evolve and grow and develop, and he's going to be a monster before he's done in Tuscaloosa. Um. It's a fun question, uh, and it gets to, uh, and it allows me to sort of tell a story on myself. So that's good too. Um, not for the show, just curious. Uh, and I don't. I wish I had a name on this. Uh, not for the show, just curious. Uh, when were y'all at Alabama? 
did you ever did you ever go to hear music at uh, the Chucker? It was a bar that was in uh, downtown Tuscaloosa. Downtown Tuscaloosa. Uh, I was at Tuscaloosa ninety four to ninety eight and played uh, in a bunch of bands there. Just wondering if maybe we ever cross paths. Roll Tide, and so uh, so that's funny. And a couple sort of uh, sort of sparks that that spins off is uh, you were there ninety four to ninety eight, and so I was there. Uh, I was in Tuscaloosa part of uh, those years ninety four to ninety six. I did grad school. Uh, in Tuscaloosa. And so I was in, uh, so we were both in Tuscaloosa at that time, uh, time frame. I had a friend, uh, early in undergraduate that, uh, um, uh, his name was Slade and he went to the Chucker all the time. And so, uh, I went to the Chucker just a couple of times, not, not a whole lot, but I went there a couple of times, but I'll tell, I'll tell a story on myself. Um, I went to the Chucker and we went there late and they were pretty close to closing. In fact, they had already, um, they had already called, uh, sort of last call and, and, you know, I think the band was, was about to wrap up and, and so they were close to closing and me and another guy, we were standing by the door because we're trying to, Hey, c- come on guys, let's get out of here. They're about to close up. And, uh, we we're standing, standing at the door and these two guys walk in and, um, <clears throat> and we're just standing there at the door and they walk in and say, Hey, is there a cover? And just like, just instinctively, I said, yeah, five bucks. And so these two guys give us 10 bucks and, uh, and I turned to my buddy and I said, we got to get out of here because this place is already closing and we just got 10 guys, 10 bucks from uh, two guys walking in. So that's not my best sort of representation of myself story, but, uh, it's a true story. And, uh, there you go. So, all right, we're going to transition now. And, uh, we've talked about iTunes, uh, comments, and, uh, I want to read off the last three, uh, five-star reviews that we've received in, um, in iTunes. So let me pull that up real quick. And so, uh, um, so Bill in DC says this podcast should be illegal. Um, and so let me just pause right there. Um, my daughter, uh, is 10 and she found the podcast and she was having a hoot, just like listening to the podcast, um, on her phone with her friends. And she's a little bit showing off her phone, a little bit, just kind of having fun. And then she goes, Oh, I want to go see the ratings. And she pulled up this one. And the first thing it says is this podcast should be illegal. And so she ran to my, she ran to my wife and uh, was like, what, what, why would someone say this? Why, <laughs> what is daddy doing wrong? And, um, and it was, that was just sort of a funny moment, but you got to take the full comment in context. Uh, this podcast should be illegal. I imagine the opposing uh, offense and defensive coordinators have their staff listening to it before uh, playing Alabama. The detail and nuance observations uh, that these guys make are not only enlightening, uh, but they're also fun listening. It's also great to re- rewatch the game after you hear the podcast and pick up on all the little things and big ones that you miss. Great job, guys. Keep up the gr- uh, the good work. So, Bill, we really appreciate that. And, uh, of course, that was a funny story uh, with my daughter getting uh, hearing that. Uh, a couple more comments. Uh, Chip, uh, Chip, I'm gonna just going to read the name uh, as it's here. Chip Whalenmeyer. Uh, hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, whether you uh, love or hate Alabama football, uh, this is a must-listen-to podcast. I've listened to these guys uh, since the beginning. I'm in the Army. Thank you for your service. And stationed in Italy for 10 years. <laughs> he says, rough life, right? Um, that's got to be a – that's got to be a um, – as, as far as military service goes, that has a pretty, pretty good uh, gig, I would imagine. All right, back to his comment. Uh, and these guys give me insights. 
uh, as to what's happening in Alabama football and let me stay connected with the team. Uh, I was able to stay up and watch games uh, at three in the morning, but not really able to, to dissect the game like I wanted. These guys did that. Uh, if you like Alabama football, you should listen to this podcast. If you love Alabama, I recommend uh, going to their website and paying for the extra uh, money to uh, um to get their premier premier packages. Thank you for that. That's really nice. Uh, the information that you get uh, that you will gather is totally worth it. If you dislike Alabama football first, what the hell's wrong with you? I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you don't like good football. Uh, second, uh, listen to these guys and you will learn uh, about the weakness of, uh, of the team and gain valuable insight uh, into how to, to watch uh, and evaluate all football teams effectively. You guys are amazing. Uh, keep up the great work, Chip. Man, thanks, Chip. That is uh, very, very nice. We uh, really, really do appreciate that. And uh, and then one more, uh, GT Cavanaugh. Um, uh, this is a this is a must for Alabama fans. Uh, honest, in depth discussion uh, on every aspect of the team. This podcast will give you great insight and information on what's going on with the tide. If you value uh, good discussion from a fan's perspective, this uh, this is for you. A must listen for all uh, for any SEC fan. So that's awesome. We really appreciate that, fellas. Uh, and. Uh, uh, if you're listening and you've not given us a review on iTunes, uh, consider giving that a go. Uh, it helps fa- it helps other fans find us. So you're doing a favor for us. You're also doing a fan uh, doing a favor for uh, other other listeners out there. I can't understate. I'm always surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, uh, but oh, uh, you know, when I have an opportunity to to engage and and you know talk with listeners, hey, how'd you find us? And uh, it's amazing how many people just say, "I just found you on iTunes," and so. Uh, the higher we rank in iTunes, the more people uh, can find us. And so if you like what we do, uh, go leave us a, a, a five star and uh, uh, and that'll help. Uh, that'll help other folks find us. <clears throat> All right. We're going to transition into a contest winner, uh, Legends Drinkware. We've been uh, talking about Legends Drinkware and truly these glasses are amazing. We had a contest for the best Bryant Denny sort of Legion Field uh, game uh, story and we have a winner. Uh, Chris Cahoe in Rochester, New York, has uh, has won uh, a pair of glasses, and so he'll get a, a pair of tumblers or a pair of pints, and uh, Chris will reach out to you separately to uh, take care of that. We appreciate everyone who contributed uh, stories. There's a lot of great stories, pictures, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, fun details. Uh, a lot of people commenting, I was at this game and drunk, and I thought, no, I was at that same game that way as well. Uh, but um, uh, I'm going to share a little bit of, of Chris's story. Uh, he actually had multiple stories sort of woven into the email that he sent. Uh, but his Bryant-Denny story kind of went along the lines of, uh, you know, limited uh, Bryant-Denny stories. Uh, again, he uh, lives in uh, upstate New York. Uh, limited Bryant-Denny stories. Uh, but uh, he went to the LSU game last year. Uh, it's the game we lost, not a really good outcome, but uh, nonetheless, he said his brother and I spent four days in Tuscaloosa. It was their first ever Alabama game, uh, uh, which is amazing. Uh, they went to Saban's radio show. They went to the Bryant Museum. They did the stadium tour, uh, which I recommend the stadium tour, and I'm already going to do the stadium tour again because of the expansions and uh, the upgrades in the stadium and the tunnel and all that stuff, uh, but that was phenomenal, the stadium tour. Uh, Archibald's. Uh, which is a great barbecue spot. Uh, all the hot spots on the strip. Any kind of kids that, you know, some of those maybe you're younger for me than, <laughs> and I respect that. Uh, I tend to hang out downtown uh, more so in the, in, in the strip uh, these days. But, uh, you know, first time in Tuscaloosa, you got to hit them all. 
Uh, went to the Walk of Champions leading up to the game. So he just made this a full immersive experience. It's amazing. Uh, uh, when we finally got to the seat uh, and sort of handed up with those around us, uh, he was there with his brother. He said they both kind of took a breath. Uh, and then he started to feel a little misty uh, and uh, looked over and his brother was feeling a little misty. And uh, uh, and he said the lady, you know, next to him sort of grabbed his hand and said, hey, man, and, and said, you know, this place takes my breath away, you know, even still. Uh, that's pretty amazing. If you've never been there and you're just living it up and then you sort of just get the moment of, of being in the stadium. Uh, I think that's awesome. Uh, he said right before the break, uh, or the break, you know, right before the, uh, the fourth quarter, he said the place was electric with the Dixieland delight and, uh, and the lights and, uh, and then of course the feeling in the game that, uh, Alabama was going to pull it off. And, um, he said it was a long slog, you know, from, you know, upstate New York, but it was a great trip. And they're planning another one uh, as soon as they can. I think the COVID has, has sort of disrupted that a little bit. And uh, uh, apparently he and his brother went back and just raved about what a good time it was because now all the kids want to come with them. And and uh, hopefully they'll be able to make uh, the next trip. I think that's phenomenal. And uh, just, a, just a lot of fun things to do in Tuscaloosa. It, uh, you know, especially if you're an Alabama fan and, you, and you've never made the trip, there's a little bit of a mecca to it. Um, and then I think Bryant Denny and I think Tuscaloosa, even if you're just a fan of college football, there's some stadiums, some places you just want to go. Tommy and I went to Happy Valley because we just wanted to go there. There's other stadiums, there's other places I just want to go because part of the lore and the history of, of college football. And I think Bryant Denny and Tuscaloosa is, is, is one of those. So if you're an Alabama fan, obviously you got to make the trip. If you're not, I think you got to make the trip because I think it's, uh, it's just, just that special. Uh, speaking of Legends Drinkware, we do have a brand new contest, uh, Legends Drinkware. Uh, we know Legends Drinkware makes uh, game days special. And so this contest is which Tide player had a knack for making game days special for you. So any team, any era, any position, who is a, who is a former or current Alabama player who makes game days extra special for you? Uh, it's it'd be it their spirit, their their attitude, their their playing ability, uh, their production. What is whatever that means to you? That little extra something that makes game day special. Submit your entry all the all the regular ways. Drop me an email uh, at Alabama Football. I'm sorry, Alabama Football Podcast at Gmail dot com. Go onto the website uh, Alabama Football Podcast dot uh, com and use the contact form. Send us your game day special making player and uh and we'll have another winner it'll be a pair of uh, a pair of glasses either pints or tumblers uh your preference winner's preference and in the meantime everyone's a winner go to legendsdrinkware.com and use code AFP10 for a 10% uh discount uh our next uh zoom call is Thursday night. So we'll hope that you'll join us. Those are only available uh, to the All America team. Uh, and so it's not too late to join. There are, um, I think last year, on all of last year, we did 29 or 30 uh, bonus recordings. And some of those even were just an early release of a, of a regularly recorded show. Um, we're up in the mid 20s uh, bonus shows, and they've all been raw, brand new, uh, content, uh, not, not released in, in other forms or fashions. So it's not too late to join one of those support levels and you can binge on us like crazy. 
Uh, it's not too late to join the All America group and get access to the Zoom calls uh, this Thursday. The Zoom calls are recorded and posted. And uh, people have listened to those and, and we get a lot of positive feedback. And then those that have been on the Zoom calls, uh, their feedback has, has, has just been off the charts good. So uh, I think it's worth giving it a shot uh, there. And um, I'm looking at all my sheets and pages and notes, and I think I've covered all of the grab bag topics that I wanted to cover. So we ran a little bit long, but hopefully this was fun and hopefully we covered a lot of bases for you. And uh, with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. All right. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.